1 Corinthians 15. We're going to finish up 1 Corinthians 15. This is our fourth week in it, but it's an important dealing with the resurrection. Um, and then we'll finish off 1 Corinthians by the end of this month. Um, as I stated when we started looking at 1 Corinthians 15, the problem was that there were some in the church, probably from a Greek background, from certainly from a pagan background, but you know, it, our culture always influences us. Even when a person comes to Christ, their upbringing, their culture always influences them. And uh, in, in the Greco-Roman world, uh, there was a lot of philosophy, a lot of different types of teaching. It was no different than today, all these different lines of reasoning and thought. And, and one of the primary lines of thought uh, had to do with the concept of dualism, that the physical and the spiritual are, are two different entities that are separate within a person or about a person. Uh, later on in the Christian world, Gnosticism, towards the end of the first century, John deals with that. And then on in the second century, Gnosticism infects Christianity with these concepts of duality. And, uh, and, and so the idea was that the body was kind of physical, was, was, was corrupt, was evil, the spirit was good. And so the concept would be at death, all the body, the physical is completely gone. And there is no more physical concept, whatever, there's just a spiritual. And so some were probably teaching that there would not therefore be a resurrection of the dead. Either they believed there was just this concept of a soul that lived on or that life was over completely, which was hard for me to fathom that a Christian would ever think life ends completely at death because otherwise why would I give my life to Christ if there's nothing beyond this world? Paul says if all we have is this world only, we're to be pitied. We've blown it, missed the whole boat. Uh, if all there is, if, if everything ends when this life ends, you are in the wrong place tonight. Now, you should be out having a good time, you know, enjoying life. Not that you don't have a good time here, but uh, try to make that work. But, and so in, in that background of dealing with some, just felt there was no resurrection. So if there's no resurrection, as Paul argued, just brilliantly argued, then Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we are all in trouble. So now he's going to deal with the concepts that come in really for the second coming of Christ. And so picking back up in 1 Corinthians verse 42. So also then uh, is the resurrection of the dead in light of what he said about sowing and reaping. You know, you sow a plant, a seed, you plant a seed when it's dead, it comes to life. It is sown perishable or corrupted. It is raised imperishable or corrupted. So when you, when you take a seed and you plant it, it dies, it perishes, and it grows up. So, so it is with us. Our physical is perishable and corrupted in its current state. Uh, that does not mean there's not any more to the physical, as we'll see later. But he says it's raised imperishable. So while a seed is planted and died, it comes up fruit that looks different from the seed and is from the seed, when, when we perish as a follower of Christ, we're going to have some fruit of that dead seed of our body that is similar but different, that is not able to be corrupted, that is not able to perish ever. Um, you know, we would say that lives forever, in essence, is what we would say. So it is sown in dishonor because of sin. It is raised in glory, we would say, because of Christ. It is sown in weakness because of death. It is raised in power, the power of Christ at the resurrection. It is a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Now, this is critical. 
because there is a body nonetheless. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this when I get to verse 50 and follow. The concept that so often plagued the Greek world and the Greek mind that would be carried over in the Christian idea was that the physical has a body, but the spiritual, there is no body. And the concept of body is that which can be seen and touched and experienced to some capacity and itself has experiences. The natural body or the physical body is still a body, but so is the spiritual. So Paul really, and, and, and one of the things about Paul that's hard, I think, sometimes for us to comprehend and understand is Paul was well-versed in philosophy. Paul grew up at least part in Tarsus. Tarsus was a great center of education and learning. And one of the fundamentally, well, one of the most basic of all Greek philosophies that existed then and still exists to this day, Stoicism had a huge teaching and following where Paul grew up. Some think that Paul was influenced a little bit by Stoicism, and you can see some of that, and, and I'm not going to go into the details of what that is, uh, it's not because I don't know it. I do. Don't, don't challenge me on that. I know it. But I'd rather you go look it up and not waste my time having to explain it to you. In case I make a mistake, then you, you don't know that part. But, but Paul understood philosophy. That, that's why Paul was able, uh, before he went to Corinth, to stop off in Athens and debate the Greek philosophers. Most, listen, Peter, all those, all those good old boys from Galilee, they couldn't have gone to Athens and dealt in, in uh, Acts 17 with all those Greek philosophers. They would have had a hard time. Paul could do it. Never forget, Paul was one of the most brilliant men that have ever lived. I mean, his, his ability, he has influenced the world second only to Christ. And, and that's because he interprets and, and influences the way Christians think based on Christ. So Paul had this capability. So you see Paul talking about a body it, it, it is natural as how it's sown, but it's reaped a spiritual body. We'll see that more in a minute. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So Adam, you know, the representative man, the first Adam, Adam, and then the last one, Jesus, both have a purpose. You see that in Romans. He goes into that in great detail in Romans about, you know, through Adam, all, one man, all, death came, through another man, you know, life came. So, however, he says this in verse 46, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. So, he says, you got to understand the order. The natural body comes first, first at birth. Excuse me, at conception. I did that on purpose. It's a dramatic effect. At conception. Yeah, you like that? The nat you can quote me. The natural body begins. And, um, and, and as I say all the time, and I'm in, in two weeks, yeah, uh, in two Sundays from this one, uh, in May, we're going to have our series on parenting. And I'm going to start, I'm going to start that series off um, dealing with the image of God. What makes humans human is the image of God. Oh, which, by the way, begins at conception. And so, the whole concept then is that the natural has to come first. Then you have to have the spiritual. How do you get from the natural to the spiritual? We'll see more in a minute. But death is the most common way until Jesus comes. 
from the natural to the spiritual, there has to be a transition. That transition is death. And then Christ will come and he'll change everything. So, got that in mind. The first man is from the earth. He is earthy. The second man is from heaven. And as the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And as the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. So just as we have been born in the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. The word image, our word icon comes from it. So just as we will bear the image of an earthy body, which we do right now. We will bear the image of a spiritual body, an actual body. And in just a moment, in verse 50, we're going to go into the details of that a little bit more. Now, I'm going to stop at this point because verse 50 uh, through the rest of the chapter have a large impact on how we understand the second coming of Christ. So I want to take just a few moments to talk about the second coming of Christ. Uh, there are four essential things that the New Testament clearly and concisely teach about the coming of Christ. And too often we get, we get out on tangents that, that escape this. Now, there is no one place in all the New Testament where the doctrine of the second coming of Christ from front to back is just laid out. Because there's nowhere in the New Testament that hardly any doctrine that is complicated. It's just that simply laid out. Certainly not the doctrine of Jesus. We got four whole gospels to wade through. So, you know, especially where Paul writes, you, you take what Paul writes and, and, and understanding when he wrote them in the concept in the context, and you begin to help frame that out. But be careful that you don't take concepts or parts of scripture that aren't dealing with the second coming, and you cut those out. And you paste them into your concept of the second coming to create the doctrine you want it to say, which happens all the time. The four basic things to understand about the second coming is that, first of all, Jesus will come again. That's clearly taught. taught him, he taught it, taught in Acts. All the apostles believe it. Second thing is that when he comes again, life as we know it will end because there will be a fundamental change that take place. This is what we're going to see now. The dead in Christ will rise. And after they rise, those who are left behind will also be figuratively risen. But we will all have a new body, a spiritual body, which we'll see in a moment. That's the second aspect. The third aspect that's clearly taught is there's going to be a judgment. One judgment. Just one. He will let the judgment judge living in the dead the lost and the saved. The primary means of judging will be whether or not you have trusted Christ as Savior. He will also judge our lives as evidence of whether or not we have trusted Christ as Savior. And then the fourth thing that will happen is he will assign permanently the concepts or the places of heaven and hell. Those four things are very clearly taught in the New Testament. In different passages. You've got to weave them together. Jesus speaking of the judgment. You know, Matthew is part of that. Now, there's all other things there in and out. And I know some of you are saying, but David, what about this? And, you know, what about this judgment? That judgment. I, judgment. I got all of that. Just telling you that consistently, clearly, and concisely, that is the New Testament teaching of the second coming of Jesus. 
Now, a few other things are part of that. I got it. Knock yourself out. Now, here we come to a part that deals with that second aspect. That once Christ has come, the resurrection of the dead. And at this time, this is when everything changes. By the way, when Christ comes, it's over. You got that right. When Christ comes, I like to say he's going to set all things straight. I hate using the analogy that I'm about to use. But it's like the Godfather when he says, today we take care of all family business. Jesus takes care of everything when he comes. Okay? It's too late after he comes to change your mind, despite what some people incorrectly teach. Now, I say, brethren, flesh and blood, get this, cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Flesh and blood, we don't inherit the kingdom. Now, we do live in the kingdom at this point, yeah. But the kingdom has not been finally consummated. Jesus, in what was first sermon I preached in Mark, when we started this thing way back in January, Jesus, kingdom is right now. Kingdom's here. I'm, it's it. It's near. I'm right here. He's constantly talking about entering into the kingdom. And Matthew spends a lot of time talking about the kingdom. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God over the lives of people. God reigns over all people, by the way. You do understand that God is still king. Jesus, especially as we talk about Jesus, he is still king and Lord of the lost. You know that, right? They just don't know he's Lord. They don't proclaim him Lord. He may not be, they may not be his, but Jesus is Lord of all. And when he comes, he will consummate or bring to the conclusion his kingdom. It'll be finalized. And at that point, understand that flesh and blood cannot inherit that kingdom. It's not theirs by divine right. Incorruptible cannot handle or inherit, or inherit I mean, the, uh, that which is not corrupted. So, behold. This is, behold is a fascinating Greek word. Look, pay attention. It's, it's almost as if he wants to shout. You ever have a preacher shout a lot? When he preaches, I don't shout much. In, in my mind, I'm shouting all the time, but not when I preach. He says, I tell you a mystery, something that has yet to be revealed, but he is revealing. And the ultimate revelation is still to come. We will not all sleep, but we all be changed. That is the motto. That is the fundamental motto of many a preschool area. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. That's what we promise parents. Your preschoolers, they may not sleep, but we'll change them. The concept of change is critical. It's a transformation. Now, verse 52 says, in a moment, the twinkling of an eye. So we put this way. The word moment is basically the Greek word for Adam. And at the time they wrote this, the concept of Adam was the, was the smallest unit of anything. The twinkling of an eye was the time it takes you to blink, the blink of an eye. In other words, just like that, here's what will happen. When that trumpet sounds, the last trumpet of victory or the trumpet of announcement, whatever you want to say, when Christ comes, there will be a moment that passes so quickly when everything is settled. Then the dead will be raised imperishable. And then we will all be changed, including those who have not passed. So 
What, she, what, what he's trying to say is, remember, dealing with the concept of denial of resurrection. There's going to come the smallest of moments, the blink of an eye when Jesus returns. In that blink of an eye, everything ceases to be as it once was. And the dead will be raised. And those who remain behind, and if, if that's us when Christ comes, will be changed. And what would be changed to is something that is incorruptible, that is not perishable. We will have that new body I'll talk about in just a moment. The imperishable, excuse me, the perishable must, has to put on the imperishable. And the mortal must put on immortality. So here then is the understanding of a new body. The resurrected bodies that we will have will still be body. I think sometimes we think that when the resurrection comes, we're going to get this ghost body. Okay, when Jesus was resurrected, it was a real body. They all saw him. Now, what? Remember Doubting Thomas? Remember that guy? Gets such a bum rap. What, what did Jesus say to Thomas? Take your hand. Put it right here. Take your hand. Put it, put it right here. He did do it. He could feel, not just only could he see him, he could feel the body of Jesus. It had a texture to it. And that wasn't just like flesh and blood like we have right now. It's, it's different. But it was there. I mean, he was, he was out by the, the lake cooking a fire. You know, cooking. Now, I don't, I don't know if, you know, if he was going to eat or not. I don't, I don't know about that. It's not important. But what's important is he was functioning. And so... It's a very, very limited understanding of the body of Jesus. We don't have much detail, okay? I wish we had, you know, what did he, he looked like himself, so I guess we'll all recognize we'll look like ourselves. Um, but the most important thing is that it was a real body. It was a spiritual body, but it was a body nonetheless. It is the body that we will have for all eternity. Now, here's the thing. I don't know what your body's going to look like. But if you're worried your body for eternity is going to look like the body you have now and that bothers you, you might want to change it. <laughs> I don't know what you do. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to change it. Can't help you with that part. How do I change my body? I don't know. Notice verse 54. But when the perishable would have put on the imperishable, and the mortal would have put on immortality. Then will come about the saying that is written. It's taken from Isaiah 25. Death is swallowed up in victory. That's a great statement. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, we talked about that last Sunday. It looks like he won. It looks like Satan and death and sin won. Then the resurrection occurred. And, and that was victory. And Sunday, we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. I, I am a firm, firm believer at Easter that we don't celebrate Good Friday, that we celebrate Easter. We meet tomorrow night at 6 and 7 to celebrate baptism and the Lord's Supper. I remember the death of Jesus. I reflect on what his death means for me. I do not dwell 
on the death of Jesus. I preach it and I proclaim it. I dwell on the resurrection of Jesus. Okay? We need to help people understand that Jesus died for them. I did that Sunday. Then we need to make sure that people understand that Jesus rose for them. And that's what we celebrate. It's the resurrection of Christ. The good news is the resurrection. Now, the, the cross is good news because of the resurrection. Without the resurrection, the cross, it ain't good news. Now, it all goes together. I know that. And, and I teach that. We celebrate the victory that the resurrection defeated death. Then he kind of quotes from Hosea 13. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? The sting like a bee or a, a wasp. I, until last year, I hadn't been stung in years. And then in last May, I got stung by a bee. That hurt. I forgot how much it hurt to be stung. And, 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 I, and I was trying to do everything I can to get that sting away because it hurt a lot. And uh, the sting that comes from death is gone. What is the sting of death? It is sin. What is the power of sin? It is the law. Now, when he talks about the law, what he's saying basically is this. Not that the law is bad, but it is the law that points out all of our sin. And the law can't save you. The law can't save you. The law is good because it honors God. But the law is troublesome because it shows that we fail to honor God. There's ten commandments. Narrow it down to four. You still break them. Pick two. Now you break them. Pick one. I never broke that one. Well, you broke the one about lying. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Notice, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God who gives us victory. Paul's saying, you guys are denying the resurrection. The resurrection gives us victory. For years and years and years, every year I think Southern Baptist did some survey of the most popular hymn. And every year it was, I think, victory in Jesus. Am I right, Mike? Yeah, just nod like I'm right. Yeah, he says, yeah, maybe. He doesn't know. <laughs> but it's always one of the top most requested uh, hymns. Because, you know, the, the two hymns that I think in the hymn book that encapsulate really Christian faith is Holy, Holy, Holy and Victory in Jesus. Those are two good hymns. Brian, are we going to sing any of those anytime soon in the contemporary service? No. <laughs> You're going to pray about it? <laughs> so I put him on the spot. He just hates, he hates when I do that. I just like to do that stuff. Those are good hymns, by the way. Now, 30, verse 8, 58. Therefore, in light of all this, my beloved brethren. That's a term of deep and dear. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, and I love you. You be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Get this. Knowing that your toil is not in vain or empty in the Lord. See, if there's no resurrection 
Everything you do is vain. It's empty. But because there's a resurrection, you don't have to give up. It's not going to be lost. There is victory. On the other hand. So Paul brings this long section on the resurrection, which I think really, when all is said and done, is the heart of the Corinthian book to a close. Now, I have a few minutes left, and I wanted to give you a few moments in case you wanted to ask some questions that I may be able to answer. I may not be able to answer, but I will answer. Yes, ma'am. Yes. The third one is the judgment. And the fourth one is the assignment of heaven and hell. What else? Nada, nada, nada. That's good. Oh, you have one? Well, that was a movie starring Sharon Stone and Gene Hackman. I, I, I'm, I, honestly, I'm not sure what the passage is that says that. I have to look it up. And I'd have to get, I'd have to look it up. And if I have to, I'll have to get Timothy to look it up in the Greek. Tell me. I don't remember the passage. You remember the passage, Joe? Not here. I remember passage. No, 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 no. It, it does not have to be all together. It's a new body. It looks the same, but it's different. So people that have been drowned, people that have been cremated, people that have been blown up, whatever. No, don't have to do that. So now, is that the one? That's the issue? Yeah, that's yeah, it. No, it doesn't. Now, I know it's been taught before, you know, and, and you know, I've done more, all my, my first two years here, I saw more cremations than I did in all the rest of my ministry combined, uh, you know, and, uh, yeah, but it doesn't affect that. I prefer to be buried in Texas because that means I'm halfway to heaven, but that's how it is. Any other questions? Yes. Yeah. Elaborate a little bit on what exactly these scribes and Pharisees were. How Mosaic or Levitical were they then? Well, the Pharisees and scribes were political parties. Pharisee, the scribes were attached to the temple that dealt primarily with the temple. They believed the first five books of the Bible was it. So they didn't believe in a resurrection. They didn't believe in heaven and hell. They didn't believe in the angelic. They didn't believe all those other guys were prophets. And there were very few of them. They were destroyed. Um, and the Pharisees were about over 6,000 of them. They were spread throughout the whole area. And they accepted all of what we would call the Old Testament as valid and believed in resurrection and all these other things. And what was the other part? What was the Levitical or Mosaic? Yeah. So how closely did they resemble 
Well, they weren't supposed to be any of that. They, they were originated in the interbiblical period. So there's no biblical uh, Old Testament concept of either one. The concept of priests, but not of the Sadducees. And there's no biblical concept of the Pharisees. So I would argue that, that they were not legitimate in any capacity. And um, they corrupted entirely the Mosaic law. That's why Jesus condemned them for the corruption of the religion, which I spent, you know, He's a chunk of Mark preaching about. There is no biblical basis for them that exists in the Old Testament. So, so were they what you might call They were what? Talmudic. So, you, the Talmud is something. So, the Talmud is something different. The, the Sadducees were not. The, the Sadducees and Pharisees are two different groups who have a completely different understanding of the Judea, Judaism. And so the Talmud is, is basically a concept of teaching and interpretation that would probably be more along the lines of the scribes and Pharisees. But I, but I would not call me to that. Yes? I got like a minute left. Okay, okay, yeah. So I guess is, is there no, because if there like a human construct of political, essentially they existed, like uh, the Pharisees just operate the Jewish church with it. Yeah. Is there really any basis for like a um, state where the, the church runs the state? Is there really any basis for that in the Bible? Are you asking if there's a biblical basis for the church running the state? Yeah. No. Because I'm a good Baptist, and I would never say that. We'll see y'all later. <laughs>